All right. As you can tell, I'm not Matt Redstone. He, the very tall man is in red boots. We're trying to uh, roll it out so that we take turns preaching myself in Redbirds once a month and then once here in Carlisle, and he does the same. So that's one of the things that you're going to hear about at the meeting. So I suggest you come in case you don't like listening to me, then you can come tell him, stop that. Let's not do that. All right, we're going to continue our series on B. We're actually wrapping up the subset on relationships with this week. We've talked about controlling our anger, being peacemakers, being reaching out to those around us, being the keepers of our family and our community. And then we talked about adultery, and how we need to guard our marriage relationships and uh, do the things to prevent the evil one stealing our lives and what's important to us and our energy. And most important to guard the relationship of marriage. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. It's something that is, you really need to be strong and supportive for those that are married, those that are about to be married, and those who are past that stage. Last week, we talked about keeping our word. That's a tough one. In society, we have a tendency to go, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Oh, wait, something came up. God says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. And forget all other vows. Because we become a people that are known for breaking our word. So last week we talked about how we need to make promises and keep those promises so that we grow and people start to trust us again, that we are people of our word. Because you know what? Just living in this world, the damage has already been done. And I am one who have done those promises and like, oh, why did I do that? Did that to make the person feel good. Then I made him feel 10 times worse when I didn't show. But this morning, we're going to talk about something possibly even more difficult than keeping our word and everything else we're going to. Jesus divided the world into two groups in this next passage and two categories and according to uh, how we need to treat them. This is a passage I think everyone in this room probably has a pretty good idea Even the unchurched, I am sure, have heard portions of this scripture in just day-to-day conversation. Up to this point, we've talked about the people who we like. Well, I think we like. Our family, our friends, the people closest to us, and how we need to treat them better. And it's really funny that we have to take lessons on how to treat the people closest to us who love us And yet, this next part isn't about them. There is a few people in this world who don't like us. Shock. I can probably write a few down myself. But how are we supposed to respond to them? Anyway, I want to start with a question. Have you ever thought someone had bad intentions towards you and they actually didn't? Let that one sink in. 
it is interesting because I have found that out personally. And lots of times it's because we're self-centered. And I don't mean nastily self-centered. I'm talking about it's our nature to think about us. We're kind of programmed to go, well, what happens if I go in that room? What if I do this? What if I say this? What if I do this? So when people are living around us, our natural tendency is to go, I must be involved in that. So when someone says something or does something that we think is directed towards us, what does it make it feel? It makes us feel like they didn't either think about me, they intended to hurt me, they intended to wrong me in some way, they didn't invite me for coffee, they didn't ask me out for lunch, they didn't phone me, they didn't text me, all about what they did to us. And Jesus is talking about doing something different with that. Did they seem like they were trying to undermine you? Did they seem to do something that offends you? What if they were just trying to have fun and they weren't thinking about you at all? What if their actions had something to do with something going on in their lives and actually had no thought in what you did? So I think we're going to start by looking at the first group of difficult people to be around. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. says, Have you heard the law that says punishment must match the injury? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I think that's the part everyone knows. But I say, do not resist the evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other also. And if they sued you in court and your shirt was taken from you, give your coat too. And if a soldier demands you carry their gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, It's one of those things that I think is one of those sections of of God's word that we break apart when we shouldn't. There's lots of meanings inside that. When they talk about getting slapped on the right cheek and offering the other one, do you realize that most people are right-handed? So if they slap you on the right cheek, it's a backhand. And that's, as much as it hurts, it's more about the insult that that person is trying to give you. If they wanted to slap you, they'd probably close their fist and go right to the center of your looker. But they're trying to insult you. So what does that mean? Someone's coming after you and trying to attack you, attack your personage, attack your character, insult you, bring you down. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. doesn't sound like what our natural reaction would be the other thing is also if someone sues you in court which if someone sued me now they might not get much but that is also that is taking my character and putting it on display they're saying i did something 
that was wrong to the point the courts have to be part of it. And what's Jesus say? They get your shirt, give them your coat. In Jerusalem, any deal that was done, if you handed your coat over to, to seal the deal, that person was to give it back. So when he's saying, give them your coat, it's like, you've gotten what you needed, and here's it back. You get more. You're giving more than what is required of you. And Jesus doesn't say to ask for the coat back. You're giving your promise away that this is done. Debt is paid. And if a Roman soldier came along and tapped you on the shoulder with their spear, that meant, hey, slave, you're going to carry my stuff. You didn't have a choice. Was it right? You're not a soldier. You were maybe going the other direction. Now you've got to go a mile the other way. Not fair. But Christ says take two miles, not just one. In all three of these scenarios, you, have to, you do not have to question the motive. You know they've got an issue with you. Or they don't like you very much and think you're a pack animal. Not only is their intention to cause harm, but they're being successful at it. If they've slapped you on the cheek, it's too late. If your suppressor makes you carry their armor, there's nothing you can do about it. One commentator pointed out the intent of the law. This is the eye for the eye part. And I honestly think that is the part people just pull, pull out of that little piece of sermon. Because it's so much more our nature to give an eye for an eye. This commentator said the, the intent of that was not to cause harm, but was actually to prevent harm for both. So, if I poke you in the eye, and I know my eye is going to be poked out as well, I might think twice. I might not want to do it because I kind of like my eyes. But the point is, an eye for an eye is to save eyes, teeth, any part of your body because you're into it. But if you throw the first punch, you know it's coming back. So maybe you should think twice before you do it. But I think this law created this sense of vindictiveness. You did that to me. I'm going to return it. Because it's my right. I have done this as a kid. I've done it still do it to this day. I only to get them back. I would feel so good because they so deserve it. Really? Oh, they're going to get theirs. And I remember living in this world in my brain, even to the point, well, if I'll tell them this the next time they say something. I am going to just give it to them. And every time I've ever done that, 
totally off subject, totally out of place, and I end up looking like the idiot for coming at this person when they were just being nice at that point. But Jesus calls us to be his followers and being his followers, trusting in God. So the turn the other cheek doesn't mean don't hit me. It means take another shot because I deserve it. I've offended you. God will decide if I deserve more punishment or not. But it's our nature. It's our nature to really think, you know, about us, me, I, all those statements. I didn't like that. But you know what? God said revenge is his. And only his. He doesn't say in this scenario or in this point or if this person commits a crime. It is his and his alone. Now, how many of us, me included, I can put my hand up the highest for this, have given God the right to draw judgment and make whatever is required done. How many of us do that willingly? I know I don't. It's not my nature. It is a big fight not to reach up and slap the guy back. Because he did it to me. But just like that song, who took the punishment for us? On the cross, Jesus sat there as the Roman soldiers mocked him, stabbed him. In the most pain a living person can go through. And what did he do? He cried out to God and said, please forgive them. Jesus is acknowledging that people will hurt you. The question is, how are you going to respond? And he's not saying you have to be perfect at this. He's saying take some time. Let me fill you before you respond. According to Jewish law, an eye for an eye. That was justice. And God and Jesus are saying it's something different. In Matthew 42 to 47, it says, Give to those who ask, and turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, 
And that way you'll be acting as the true children of, our, of your Father in heaven. He gives the sunlight to both evil and good. He lets the rain fall on the just and unjust alike. What if you loved those who loved you? Or didn't love you? You should love the ones that love you. That should be it. If you love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So the second group of people is people who intend to hurt you. Enemy. Started to refer to anyone that wasn't Jewish. Does that sound like something that might be happening right now in this world? I do believe yesterday was a national day of hate called by a bunch of people who wanted to promote that. And how did the world respond? I heard it on the news. Heard of a few groups praying that it didn't happen. But it wasn't the outcry that it should have been. When the Jewish people said everyone was their enemy, the Romans used that. They got to say that the Jews hated the human race. We think persecution of the Jews was when the Nazis started doing what they were doing. But it was right from day one that people were actually being labeled with taking something that sounded that wasn't intended that way and turning it into hate. Jesus points out to God, our Heavenly Father lets the sun shine on everyone. Does that sound fair? Does that sound like it's right? But do you know why he lets it? Why do they get the sun? Why do they get the rain? Because we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love everyone equally. He does. He gives them the light. He gives them the rain. He gives them every opportunity on this earth and loves them. But his, our natural tendency is only to love the ones who love us back. And we have trouble with that. We struggle with that. Sometimes, well, you just have to look at any married couple. I don't want to speak about the balance of love and anger at the time, but sometimes it's balanced one way more than the other. I'm not saying you don't love each other when you're angry, but it's one of those things. Our close relationships are hard. How are far relationships? Jesus is calling us to be higher 
than our natural tendency. We're supposed to be better than what we want to do. He wants us to be the people that God wants us to be. John Curson says that when we pray for our enemies, two things happen. Now, you don't, may not believe this, but you change and your enemy changes. If you pray for someone you can't stand every day, guess what happens? You slowly become involved in their lives. And you become interested in them. You don't want to know if it's working. I'm praying for them. Are they being nicer? Is it working? Are they thinking better of me? As you pray for your enemy, a connection starts to form. You start to care for them. When that starts to happen, you'll be acting like the children of God. Now, I want to say something. I've experienced this myself. This is not an easy process. For myself, it was 18 months of praying for someone every single day. And I'll tell you, the change happened more than in me than anything else. And when those 18 months were done, God said, yeah, you're not right there yet. What about this person? How about them? There was one lady that uh, I felt had harmed me. I didn't speak to her for 25 years. And every time I walked down the street, I'd get this knot in my stomach if she was coming the other direction. And I would cross the street. Well, guess who that hurt? She probably didn't even notice. But you know what? Started doing this. Had a conversation with her. She has changed as much as I have. But I wasn't willing to give her that chance. She had done something to me and my family that I thought was unforgivable. Turned out, it actually was. And the person that did the forgiving got the reward. I'd love to sit down and tell her one day, hey, do you know I prayed for you for 18 months so that I didn't feel like someone kicked me in the stomach just to talk to you? Because I'm not even there yet. So that's how long it takes. I don't have that kind of relationship yet. And I'm not saying put yourself back into relationships that always hurt you. But there is a way to be able to help someone First you, then the other person. By getting on your knees and praying for them. You may not be able to be part of their life in the same room, but you can be part of their life through prayer. It takes a lot of work to do this. So much work that I don't think many of us actually do it. I can tell you I don't do it every single time. I roll my eyes, and then I go, oh, that was so mature. 
How about you pray for that person? Because you know what? God says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So our B statement today is be perfect. So glad Matt gave me the easy one to talk about. You just be perfect. That's be perfect. Great. Love it. Should be easy. But it is quite a statement for Jesus to make. And what is he referring to? Is he referring to just being perfect in love? Or is he calling us to be perfect in everything we've talked about in the last four weeks? (laughs) There's some more butt kicking. How's that? Be perfect. The answer is yes. I'm sorry to say, but the answer is yes. That's what Jesus is calling us to. But I can attest to myself personally that it is not easy. It is not something that comes naturally. And that's why we need Christ. We need the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit to help us be perfect. Perfect love is expressed in so many ways. We think it's only to be shared with the ones we love. No, perfect love is actually loving the ones who hate you the most first. Because that's the difficult task. That is the part that we need the Holy Spirit for. We even need the Holy Spirit to love the people we love sometimes. So don't start on the easy part, because that's nature. It is a really high calling to love people that make your stomach churn when you see them. That's why we need Jesus. Perfection is the standard of God's kingdom because he is the standard. But the only way we get to be perfect is because that God of ours, our Father, sent his Son to forgive everyone who did unspeakable things to him unspeakable the pain was some scientists say the pain is the worst pain ever to be crucified ever so if you think I didn't get invited to coffee was the worst thing that happened to your life (sighs) a little balance there we meet the standards that Jesus sets out for us but it's the Spirit that makes us new. I don't want to say that in any way that I changed because of what I did. I got a push from the Holy Spirit. I got the strength from Jesus' Word and the Holy Spirit to pray for that person. 
it's there and can be done. But it starts with one. One action. One turning the other cheek. But it's not easy. So the closer you are to his word and the Holy Spirit in your lives, the more help there will be. Because that is the calling to be perfect. Let's pray. I'll call the worship team up. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so in need of the Holy Spirit in your word, Lord. Your love for us that the only way we get to reciprocate it for you is to love others. And not just the others that kind of like us. Lord, I pray every day for myself to be able to love those people who don't love me back. To let you, Lord, be my judge. And to allow things to happen because you have it in control. Lord, there is wars across this world as an example of what hatred. I pray today, starting in this place and all the other places of worship, that we can start a movement of love and forgiveness and being perfect in this world through the Holy Spirit. so love the fact that you have helped each and every one of us that you're present in our lives and you're giving us the strength but Lord please forgive us because we're not perfect but through you we can be and through your son sacrifice on the cross Amen